Hello and welcome to The Leaderverse with your hosts, Drew Lee, Lucas Sheradin, and me, Jesse Button. Get ready for an intriguing discussion on the power of coaching and leadership in sports and beyond. Today, we explore whether great players can overcome bad coaching and if exceptional leadership is really the key to team success. We discover the importance of feedback, self-awareness, and the delicate balance between our strengths and our weaknesses. This thought-provoking episode will challenge your perspective, friends, and leave you feeling inspired to unlock your fullest potential. All that and more today on The Leaderverse. Hey, after last week, we can we can simply talk about how, you know, uh, bad, you know, great players can't overcome bad leaders. Great players can't overcome bad coaching. You know, if we visit and we look at, and there's going to be a lot of criticism of Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions and, um, and, and the decisions that were made. Part of me says, well, if they hadn't made the decisions throughout the year, they probably wouldn't be where they are. The other part says, yeah. all right, just because something got you to where you are, the same decisions won't necessarily take you any further or all the way. I watched that game like many, and I said, wow, that is unfortunately, and I and I stole this from Bill Belichick because he made a comment once in an interview. He said, you know, great players can't overcome bad coaching. And this is from one of the greatest coaches I think that's ever ever been in sports. And what Bill Belichick meant was, he was referring to a specific play where he had put Rob Gronkowski, you know, Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer, amazing athlete, one of the best ever, and he had put him on defense. And if you saw the play, he was a defensive back that was in there to be muscle and ultimately, you know, disrupt the, the final play of the game. However, he's not a defender. So that final play of the game, he got smoked. And the wide receiver absolutely juked him, made him miss a tackle, caught the ball, and scored for a touchdown. Thus, they lost the game. So as we come into this conversation, I think about, you know, where where are, are great players subject to bad coaching, bad leadership? And then what do they do about it? You know, and, and, and I want to go on that. I want to riff on that, that thought. And we may come back to this thought, but the opposite is true too. Great coaching can't overcome terrible players. <laughs> you have to have like Bill Belichick's a perfect example. It's like great coach, great player, great outcome, great coach, maybe average players. He's not no more jobs since Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Go, go to the, wherever he's going to go. It's funny but, you that know, he has to go to. Now there's going to always be that conversation: process. who was better. You know, was it Bill Belichick or was it Tom Brady? And, you know, I think the conversations, at least at this point, resolved that, hey, Tom won one without Belichick. Belichick hasn't won without Tom. Yep, there you go. You know, I, I think that le leadership, to, to me, it, it's the perfect match. Jesse and I were talking about this a little bit before we hit record, uh, Drew. It, it's, it's right person, right role, right leader. When we have that dynamic, we have really magic. And it's just, uh, I used to teach a lot about, you know, putting together teams and the hiring process and what have you. If you think about, like, if we stay with the football analogy, you put, like, Joe Montana, Mr. Compliant, Mr. Precise, and Bill Walsh, Mr. Meticulous, Mr. Micromanage, Mr. Take three steps, count to two, hit the running back in the flat, and don't deviate from the plan. Perfect match. 
Then you have a Chuck Knox and a Terry Bradshaw. Chuck Knox, Mr. Laid Back Coach, let the players create. Terry Bradshaw, don't tell me what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Let me create on the field. You put those two together and they win Super Bowls. But you put a Terry Bradshaw and a Bill Walsh together, that might have been terrible. You put a Joe Montana and a Chuck Knox together, right coach, right player, right output. And I, I think that, like, I've heard, and you might have heard this as a coach, Drew, sometimes real estate agents will say something to the effect of like, I just can't find good help. People in this area just don't want to work hard. And and <laughs> I have to laugh because there are people selling, you know, hundreds of homes in their area. So obviously somebody wants to work. You're yeah. just not. And there are people grinding stuff. away over a hot stove, flipping burgers at, you know, Burger King or you know, whatever's, whatever popular restaurant or fast food joints there. And, and they're gritty and they're hungry and they're, you know, sometimes often a single parent and they might have two jobs and we haven't done a great job of identifying who that person is. Cause I think a lot of times we look at a role in any organization and we ask ourselves who would want that because we look at a role that we don't want to do. And, and then it's easy to put that in a box of, well, Nobody would want that. No, and and nobody's going to do it for X amount of dollars, mm. right? Finding the best available player, the best available employer, the best available um, talented person that fits a role. The best available means a person that would do the role for what's being offered. I mean, there's always a best available. Mm. That's right. If the, if you're stuck on the person you have, it's like okay. So you must have convinced yourself you've got the best available, and is it the right person, the right time, the right opportunity, under the right system for that person to win or succeed? I, I think of like Dan Campbell of the Detroit Lions, or um, and honestly, because I'm a Chiefs fan, I'm okay with this. But Sean McDermott of the Buffalo Bills, I think of some of these coaches that repeatedly come close to the door of winning the ultimate prize of football and never quite getting there. And I, it was like the Detroit Lions, the best thing in the world for them to do is like, okay, we had a great season. Let's celebrate our wins. But let's also evaluate what decisions did we make that didn't get us to the ultimate goal that we were shooting for. And and for like, I think that that's actually why, you know, and staying on the football analogy, I think that's why Bill Belichick and Andy Reid of the Chiefs are really good. Because Andy, that was Andy Reid's knock for years. He can't win the big one. He can't win the big one. He could get to the game. He could coach good. Well, Andy Reid is a master at reinvention, especially like this year's Chiefs. They're a defensive football team. They're not the high-scoring team. So I think like leaders, if they could scout themselves accurately and say this strength, we don't want to get rid of that. We want to enhance that. I think this is what leaders do, Jesse, is we enhance strengths, we eliminate weaknesses. And in order to do both of those, we have to be very aware. What are our strengths and what really are our weaknesses? I think that, honestly, that's, I called a, a guy that I've seen as a mentor for years this last week because I was thinking through something and like I, I wanted to call somebody because he goes, you know what you're calling for is is your thought serving you? Is what you're thinking, your level of thinking serving you? And you need an outside voice to say, hey, hey, Lucas, you're in your head. That's thought's not serving you. Or, hey, Lucas, actually grow on that thought and stand your ground because that thought will serve you. Well, Dan Campbell needs a coach. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I don't I don't know what a structure is in the NFL, but all the great coaches need a great coach. That's I love what you said about enhancing strengths because I'm thinking about I don't know that much about football, but I'm but I do about coaching. 
And I think if I'm standing on the field as a football coach, that's all I'm looking for, right? If I'm, I'm looking for what is somebody's wheelhouse, what's someone's uh, ultimate strength, their number one strength, and because there's a position on the field for that strength. And it's my job to see that and plug them into the right, into the right position and eliminating weaknesses yeah. too. That's okay. So that's a hard part as a leader. Um, when I, I, okay. So as a leader, I want to focus on, uh, only the person's strengths because that's a positive conversation. That's giving them confidence for what we focus on expands. They're feeling better and they're working in their wheelhouse. Eliminating weaknesses. I have to point out what their weaknesses are. That's tough. That's difficult as a leader. I think that's something that's skipped often. Mm -hmm. It's also has the ability to be a life-changing conversation if you're bold enough to have it. Yeah. I've been reflecting a lot. Actually, Drew, I love that you just said that because one of the guys that I used to be in a lot of conversation with said, Lucas, you know what? Something I've noticed about you, when you're nervous, you talk to a lot of different people and that doesn't serve you. You need to process internally and only talk to a couple of people that really could speak into your situation. But when you're nervous, you're telling everybody what you're nervous about. I'm like, I've thought a lot about that right now. It's like, oh, I, I'm such a verbal processor that if if you happen to be in my path and I'm processing something that really I shouldn't be talking to you about, man, I'm probably telling you about it. And like, I think back on that conversation, I don't know if it required any emotional energy for him to confront me, but thank God he did. Mm. You know, thank goodness that I had one leader. I remember one time I... I, I messed up on stage and I did something that wasn't congruent with my integrity. And I mean, um, I don't like how he handled it, but he confronted like, man, you're having some success. And I think it's going to your head and you're being sloppy and you're not being presidential and you're not being respectful and you, it's not serving you at all. Unfortunately for me, that leader gave me a, a second shot at it, at redeeming myself. But that I could have totally blown opportunities because I was just kind of cavalier about it. I don't know if that leader went through any kind of emotional energy to confront me, but thank goodness he oh. did. I, I think about the five or six conversations I've had with like that a big key. I don't know. It's funny. It's like, I don't know what that leader was going through. Like, oh, is Lucas going to like this? Is he not going to like this? Is he going to reject me? Is he going to get mad? But I'm really glad that they had those conversations because while they were like ouch moments, boy, those behaviors just weren't serving me at the time and were going to hinder my progress as a leader myself. So I'm, I'm thankful that I had leaders take a stand for me, but here's the key thing. I think that as a leader, we take a stand for somebody, not because what they're doing annoys us. That's the problem. I think a lot of leadership does is I, I confront behavior that annoys me. I don't confront behavior that's hindering somebody's progress. So what we do, it's like, I don't know. I don't oh, want to get too much into childhood. That is. What's that? I said, what a parenting moment that is. Well, yeah, I was just going to actually listen go to that. There. I, like, my immediate thought is, damn, I, that's what I do as a parent. I don't necessarily confront behavior that would benefit my kids. I confront behavior that, that drives me nuts or well, annoys I was just me. Gonna, yeah, I was going to go there is because like we, I think we all kind of grew up with parents well-intended, but we weren't disciplined. Well, I'm just going to speak for Lucas. I wasn't always, and I love my dad. My dad's um, amazing man and he he did a did a great job with at least one of his kids and so i'm not going to tell you which one but he did a great job with at least <laughs> one but here's the thing is i learned i don't know if i learned discipline as much as i learned punishment and there's a difference and i learned real good learned real well 
what subjects do I tiptoe around so I don't get punished? I don't know that I ever learned how to think. I just learned how not to annoy my dad. And it said with a lot of respect, he was doing the best he could. And, and I'm really thankful for all the lessons he taught me. I think that as leaders and as parents that we say, what's the outcome that we want? And do we want to just insulate our world from us not being pissed off and annoyed? Or do we really want a highly functioning team? And so like what I, I've got uh, today, this afternoon is all coaching. Uh, my Wednesday afternoon is just I coach key people on my team, key, key leaders, key agents. And there are things that they do that just drive me nuts, but it doesn't make a difference. It's not about me. It's like, oh, that thinking is going to get you into trouble. And adjusting to kind of your point, I don't know if it's my job to point out the weaknesses as much as it's my job just to point up a mirror and say, what do you see? Because they can't fix something that they don't see. And if they're totally blind to it, they're not ready to hear it yet. Mm. Just hold up a mirror. You just did X, Y, and Z. Are you okay with that? Okay. I think that's what Drew does. I think Drew, all he does professionally is hold up a mirror and say, okay, I'm letting you see what I see. Do you see the same thing I see? Now, how do you want to respond to that? Good. Yeah, it's like you said you wanted to be an ice skater, but the, the, the pond's not frozen. You don't have the skates on your feet. You, you, you know, you're not doing anything that would indicate you're moving in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. But as a leader, are you willing to have that conversation? And going back to... You know, is it the, is this the right person for the right system? And I am I being the right leader to get them where they want to go? I mean, you figure every person on the rosters of the teams that ended up losing. In many ways, it's like, all right, they were they were victims of leadership, victims of coaching, and they were also active participants in the process. I love feedback. I crave it. I I remember wanting it. I remember running an office and not having a good coach around me at all, at all times that could provide that for me. I think a lot of people at the top in their on their respective teams, offices, what have you, are missing that. John Maxwell said this. Um he was speaking somewhere to to a large group and it went it went really really well. Um, as he's been doing for years and years, and he got off the stage, and it was it was his wife that looked at him and said, "You know, today you did a really excellent job. It was over the top excellent in some way, and I'm really proud of you." And it had been, John said, a decade since he received feedback from anyone <laughs> about his performance. And so I think often leaders at the top, like we're 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 craving it. We don't get that. We don't we don't have it because we just. Well, we're used to leading. Well, and it's, you, it's two things. One, you've got to be open to it as a leader um, and, and watch how you receive it. Because if you, let's just face it, if you're in a leadership role and the first time you get feedback, you look at that person, you say, uh, huh, well, you obviously didn't grasp the brilliance of my idea and you're not exactly um, taking you know, advantage of how great of a leader I am. So <laughs> let me let me re-educate you on the brilliance that you're surrounding yourself with and 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 being allowed to be part of my my team or my company. You'll never get feedback again. I mean, if you squash that that very first attempt, you'll yeah. let people around you know whether you're open to feedback or not. The other part is what I'm laughing about. 
this Jew, I think you and I have had the same leader. I, I, I <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, you didn't get it. Let me go back and I'll, I'll explain it again more slowly for for the people, you know, for the for the the slower learners in the group. Um, <laughs> you know, specifically you, you know, shame, shame, and shame, and shame. Um, yeah. you, you're not going to get that kind of feedback again. And the other, the other kind of feedback, it's like, okay, it's, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be something you agree with, but feedback is, is an incredibly powerful tool because at least it allows you to question why, why is, why this direction, why these decisions, why this, because it, it just forces that the fact that not everyone is in agreement. It allows you to question Mark Cuban, you know, billionaire entrepreneur, owner of the Mavericks and, um, you know, on, on shark tank said he misses the days where he was, he was, he had a chip on his shoulder and he was up and coming because quite frankly, the decisions that he would make, people would give him feedback and say, I think that's stupid. And then he would go back to the drawing board, refine this idea, make it concrete and come back and have something that would just, you know, be a game changer in industry. He said, now, if I come out with an idea, I got a board of directors that, absolutely are going to kiss my ass and agree and think it's a brilliant idea because it's Mark Cuban. And I, and I think, you know, there are people like Musk and, and Gates and probably Buffett that many of them most difficult thing is getting authentic feedback. So they don't have to make decisions that cost them millions or billions of dollars because nobody said, okay, Hey Warren, that's cool and all that's kind of dumb. Yeah. Right. You know, or they're Tom Hanks from the movie Big. Uh, I don't get it. I don't get it. That was such a great scene. Mm -hmm. Drew, I think that the best thing that like a coach that didn't get to their goal is they, they, I, I ever think that, that the ones that hit the goal, whoever wins the Super Bowl this year or whoever wins the national championship, if they can always have a feedback loop where people are not so enamored with their brand as they are with the product on the field and they're constantly learning, constantly improving. I, those are the leaders that real honestly, I think move the world. Those are the, because the world is changing. It's constantly changing. And at the same time, it's constantly the same, but that's another conversation for another day. How, how, however, it's like, I, I know I get into trouble when I believe my own press clippings or like if they're positive, because you and I drew we've done a good amount of speaking on stage. And invariably, if you nail it on stage, and you know you nail it, it's just like I. There are times that I get off stage, like, oh gosh, that was awful, <laughs> that was terrible. I should never speak in front of our crowd again. And then other times, I walk off stage, like, okay, I nailed that. I did a really good job. It's funny because I we did a, I did a Bill Tao conference this last um, last March or whatever, and I walked off stage, I'm like, okay, that one went well. That went really good, and. And everybody drew, everybody was like, oh, that was awesome. That's fantastic. That was great. That's fantastic. Except I have one person in my life that I've actually asked, I need the truth. And that's Chad Himes. And mm -hmm. Drew, you, you know Chad well enough to know. Chad goes, you ready for ready to take a walk with me? And Chad, for the next 15 minutes, said, okay, what do you think you did well? What do you think you need to work on? Here's my observation. And I love that because it's like, no judgment. It's just, hey, by the way, you did this and you did this and you did this. And have you ever thought about maybe trying to do this? I don't have to agree with everything that Chad said. I have, yes. but it serves me really well to listen to him. Chad, every, if you're out there, every, we love you. I, you I know, know Chad is probably the only person that listens to this podcast, Drew. So everything you do 
is going to have a feedback loop. The question is, will you get it in time and will you do something with it in time? All choices have a feedback loop, I would argue. Everything you decide, everything you do, your your life is a choose-your-own-adventure story in real time. And based on the choice you make, it's going to take you to a different page in the book. If you're familiar with the old, you know, 1980s choose-your-own-adventure stories. But that's that's what we're going through. And, and that's what I really question is, okay, are you listening to the feedback? Because life's going to offer it. If people don't, life will. It usually just comes later. You know, Lucas, your, your, your example, you get up there, you just talk on stage. Maybe you believe exactly, you know, I nailed it. Maybe you believe it so much, you tell yourself, I need to put this in a book. I need to write a book. I'm going to write a book on this, this topic. I'm going to take this. For, and, and you don't take into account any, you know, con constructive criticism or what you could do better. And you don't listen to someone like Chad. You say, yeah, yeah, he, that, that's okay. I don't agree with it. I'm just going to go do me. If he's right and you don't take any of that into account, you don't change anything, your, your book will flop or your speaking engagements will flop. So there, you'll eventually get your feedback loop showing up in real yeah. time. It's kind of like if you play Russian roulette enough, your feedback loop is going to come with a loud bang and it'll be the last thing you hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's ultimately a self-correcting problem over time. And in the case yeah, of that's, you know the it's... NFL this last week, it's like yeah, the feedback came, and and I think it came sooner. Like you know, Dan Campbell's a really good example. You had two opportunities, bro. You had one where you were leading the game within field goal range, fourth and three, could have kicked a field goal and been up another three points, continuing momentum and for and for uh, further demoralizing or or you know causing additional doubt in the in your opponent. And you didn't. And then you got another chance in the fourth quarter to tie the game. Now you're behind. Same choice. Fourth and three. Kick a field goal. Go for it. Let's do the same thing. I would argue, yeah. well, you got the same result because you didn't learn from it the first time. But the, what's the ultimate feedback? You lost the game, bro. Yeah. yeah. Easy to sit on an armchair and criticize. Feedback sure. comes, and it did in that case. Hey, see you next season. There's your feedback. Yep. And what's interesting is, is I think a lot of teams go under the delusion that, gosh, we were so close that next year we're going to be able to punch it past. Well, when opportunity knocks, that may be your opportunity. Mm -hmm. And if you don't punch it through then, you may not get that opportunity. That's why it's like you have to dance with opportunity because not all opportunity is going to come back again. And who knows next year the Lions may have a lot of injuries. Who knows that next year that the NFL may catch on to what the Lions did this year and be able to trounce them. Who, who knows? And who knows? They may get, you know, win it all next year. I We don't know. But it's I think that life is about now. And what's my now opportunity? I remember calling Ben Kenny one time, Jesse, and it's like, Ben, I'm stressed about this. I'm stressed about this. I'm stressed about this. I'm stressed about this. And blah, 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 blah. And I'm in my story in my head, my emotions. And Ben, I don't know if you've ever been on the phone with him. He doesn't really get too fired up about a lot of stuff. And and so Ben's just real quiet. And I'm like, Ben, you still there? He goes, yeah. He says, what kind of occurs to me as you talk, it seems like all your answers are right in front of you. I'm like, What? And he, he began to say, well, you have this opportunity and you have this opportunity 
and you have this opportunity. Seems to me that your answers are all like right in front of you. There's that mirror. That mirror like, again. How did I not see that? Yeah. How did I not see that? Just five seconds ago, you dad gum Ben Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Sometimes it often takes either the universe, your spiritual side, and other human beings, and some, you know, a combination of all the above that just says, all right, where is what I'm pursuing misaligned with what I'm doing? That's what that's what the mirror really is. The mirror says say that, Andrew. Well well, sometimes what you what you're pursuing or you say you're after or say you want. It's misaligned with your activities. It's misaligned with how you show up in the world. It's misaligned with what you're doing. And and that's what the mirror really is. The mirror represents the reality of I'm doing this and I want this. Are they in harmony? Is what you're pursuing mis misaligned with what you are doing? That'll yes. preach, bud. Mm -hmm. That'll preach. Like if you want, I mean, Lucas, you've mentioned it's like, hey, we're, one of our targets, you're going to run a marathon this year. Okay, well, I, I'm not a doctor or physician, and I know you don't smoke, but if you did, that would be a behavior that's contrary to being a marathon or an endurance runner. You got to look at the mirror, or you've got to have somebody point it out and say, "Hey, um, Marlboro man, uh, um, it, it it just doesn't seem." Like those two <laughs> things go together. <laughs> what, or, what, okay, like, what's your cigarette in your are, goal trajectory? You know, yeah, one of these one of these things is not like the other. Yes. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> yes. You know, if you want I, a happy like marriage those. and you don't practice monogamy, unless that's what you've agreed on as a couple, once again, probably. That behavior is not going to align with your end goal. Yeah. It seems so simple. It's so not. It's not. Just to just to speak to, again, we do this often, but to speak to the power of coaching, someone is listening to this and considering hiring a coach because they're in one of these situations where they need a mirror and they think, oh, that's all I need is to ask myself these questions. Try it. Try it on your own. Go ahead. And then call Drew, yeah. call Lucas <laughs> when you're still stuck. The um, and, that... and there's a reason for that, though, Jesse, is, is we are masters in the art of bullshitting ourselves. We are the greatest salespeople the world has ever seen in the art of bullshit for <laughs> ourselves, what we want, why we want it. You know, my screensaver on my computer, you can't see it, but my screensaver says, what don't I see? And I stole that from Keith Cunningham. Uh, the author of The Road Less Stupid, because it asks you to ask yourself the question is what's the blind spot? What's the thing I don't see? And, and even then, there's a reason it's called a blind spot. There's a reason now that most modern day cars, when you click your blinker, the, the, the side mirror lights up and says, hey, there's a car beside you that you can't see because it's the blind spot. We all have them. And individually, it often takes a third party to, you know, to share what's going on, what they see, and that's different from what it is that you want. And once again, if you don't have those people in your life, you're going to get feedback. Yep. Feedback, if you don't see your blind spot in a car, is that of swerving over in a Mack truck 
takes you out and puts you into a guardrail. Yeah, Drew's like with these really dramatic illustrations today. He does Russian roulette. He does car accidents. Yeah, the feedback loops like, are absolutely wow. like, like they're not R-rated, but it's an Hey, not all movie. feedback. <laughs> you don't get to walk away, unfortunately, and very sadly. Sometimes you don't get to walk away from feedback. Sometimes feedback comes in the form of finale feedback. And and, and I trust, it, you know, um, yeah, maybe it is just a kind of a, a morbid or a dark day, but it's like, you know, unfortunately, there, you know, there are things going on in the world, uh, fentanyl being one that just, you know, it's a terrifying thing that's affecting a lot of people in a, in a horrible, horrible way. But that's instant feedback. And something that if nobody holds a mirror to that person and says, hey, if you want to live, here's something that's misaligned with a long term aspiration of having a, a, a full life. Failure to listen. I, I think if I what will show up in another way. Yeah. I think that this, the lesson of this, we started with NFL and leader and coach and, and car crashes and think roulette and drugs. Car and, crash, yeah. roulette, just kind of, <laughs> and now we were at fentanyl and dying. If you're going to die. So here, here, here's, here's what I think Feedback. the lesson is, is as, as a leader, I think our, our, capacity to accurately grasp current reality whether it's feedback self-awareness whatever it is we need to know what currently is going on what currently am i believing what currently am i doing what currently are my people believing and doing and am i okay with that if i am cool if i'm not move do do something different think differently put on a different set of glasses see something different go hire a coach get outside of your comfort zone do a masogi do do whatever you have to do but don't come to the verge of going to the Super Bowl and comfort yourself with, oh, we'll get them next year. How do I get better? How do I move the ball forward? How do I take responsibility for bad decisions and not do those decisions again? Or not even bad. It's not even good or bad. It's like that decision obviously did not serve Dan Campbell and the Lions really well. So would you do it again? I don't care what the you know the statistics tell you. Would you do it again? Yes. And if you're saying yes, that's awesome. Are you okay with the potential outcome with that? And I think that every leader, no matter if you're leading a home and parenting a child or you're leading a big organization or Fortune 500 company, I I think in 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 our culture, especially in our culture, we need a revolution of awareness intelligence. We need a a, a complete revamp of man, I need to be more aware of current reality and my belief systems, how I'm viewing the world and how my people are viewing the world. And if it's not serving me, stop it. Figure out how to deprogram yourself. Or Drew Lee will send you fentanyl or play Russian roulette with you or put you in a car that gets in an accident. I mean, uh, stop it or I'll bury you alive in a life. box. <laughs> I was like, life life will show up. Life will show up. There's your feedback. That's right. Need a stunt double for today's episode of the Leaderverse. <laughs> but okay. We are hiring. It does not pay well. And you may be injured in the course of this action. <laughs> Want to join?